Welcome, welcome to Northwest Community Church. My name's Jerry. Well, here we are. You guys ready for Christmas? Today's December 10th, right? We got 14 days till Christmas Eve, 15 days till Christmas Day. Uh, how many people have already done their shopping and you plan ahead and you're all over Amazon like stink on a monkey and you're all done? Okay, good. How many people, you've got about 2,000 more gifts to get and you're freaking out right about now because, right, there you go. I'd probably be in that camp, uh, truth be told. But man, this is the season where we are leaning into, uh, without a doubt, one of the most beloved holidays, if not the most beloved and favorite holiday uh, of the majority of people, Christmas. And what's interesting about Christmas compared to other holidays is Christmas actually gets uh, an entire month to, uh, to lean into it, right? Sometimes even before Thanksgiving, you'd start to see some Christmas stuff out and up on houses. Any of those guilty people here like that you creep in even in November? Some of you, no, lots of thumbs downs. Okay, you don't like those people. There we go. But December is owned by Christmas, right? So what that essentially means, guys, is one-twelfth of your existence is centered around the holiday of Christmas, all right? So if you live to be 80 years old, just on average, that means that you will have spent almost seven straight years of Decembers thinking about Christmas, all right? So that means seven years of the song Feliz Navidad driving you insane. All right, some people are into it, they love it, some people not so much. Regardless, man, we are here. And especially if you have kids, there's something that's incredible and sentimental and uh, just incredibly invigorating about seeing Christmas through their eyes. All right, and so man, here we are. We want to lean in in this three-week series here this week, next week, and then Christmas Eve around uh, the concept of just getting our heart and mind and attention focused on the things that deserve that attention. I don't know what life's been like for you these last couple of weeks or even moving ahead in the next couple of weeks. But my wife and I were just talking about how just about every single night there's something going on, right? We went through one span of like eight days where it wasn't just daytime stuff, but stuff in the evenings as well, stacking up, vying for your time. They're all good things, but sometimes they take away from the most important thing. A lot of times we, uh, around Christmas time, focus on the idea of gifts and everything, and that's what consumes us of getting the perfect gift or buying the perfect gift. And it's been amazing to me as you look over the history of the last, you know, 30 or 40 years, how what seemed to be an incredibly important, amazing, life-changing gift, now we look back on, we're like, what was I thinking with that? All right, so I did a quick little bit of research just to have some fun here. Uh, these are the best-selling or the most wanted gifts from the 80s. Anybody else an 80s child like myself right on with the 80s? Well, see if you remember any of these or if you've gotten any of these. And the number one, the early 80s, was the Cabbage Patch Kids. Anybody get a Cabbage Patch Kid? Okay, any guys raising your hand? I've got some questions for you. But the Cabbage Patch Kid was a big deal, and you knew it was authentic. How? Well, yeah, but what else? Or am I way off in this? Wasn't there a signature on the, on the hiney of the Cabbage Patch? 
Right, okay, I was, uh, for a moment I'm like, am I crazy or did I not remember that? And that's what it was, which is a little weird any way you cut it, right? Cabbage Patch Kids, right? What about Care Bears? Anybody get one of those? Rubik's Cube, rocking those things out. Those are still kind of around a little bit. Um, Transformers, come on. Guys especially, right? Had those, love those. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Anybody can have them. Koosh Ball. Remember those things? are like you whip them at people and it doesn't hurt and you're just, they got this, it's weird. Uh, how about the 90s, right? The number one selling uh, uh, Christmas item in the early 90s at least was WWF wrestling figures, right? Anybody in that camp guilty as charged? I had every single one of them, all right? A few of you. I may or may not still have some in my room at home. Uh, Tickle Me Elmo. Anybody remember that one? Especially in the mid-90s, anybody remember like the massive riots and the fist fights that broke out because parents were wanting to get the Tickle Me Elmo and they didn't make enough of them? Yeah, now you can get all the Tickle Me Elmos you want. Um, this one wasn't big for me, but this list said that they were huge in the U.S. Furbies. Anybody have any Furbies? That's like more haunting than exciting and kind of creepy if you ask me uh, about the Furbies. And then there was Pogs. Anybody remember those? Yeah, I didn't really either, but like little things you trade and burn. I don't know what they were. And then you get to the 2000s. All right, how many people between 2000 and 2010, you were in your formative years, elementary, middle school? Some of you, some of you are not quite sure of your age. Um, but here's what we got, Xbox. That was a big deal. PS3, the Wii, the iPad, the iPad Touch, and the iPhone. Those are the biggest selling, uh, the, the most wanted gifts of, of that decade, right? So what do you notice about all of these gifts? They are accelerating in expensiveness, number one, right? But also, if you look at those three decades and where things are going, how much isolation there is in some of those gifts, and we haven't even talked about the last seven years, right, of where we are now. But we know it only gets worse and worse and worse. And so, man, what we're centering around here this morning is we want to hone in and we want to focus on the most important thing in this, in this Christmas um, season. And our, our theme, our branding for this particular series is taken from a well-loved hymn, a well-loved carol that we're going to be doing certainly on Christmas Eve. And it's a carol called, O Holy Night. And I don't know if you guys are anything like me, but when I hear that song, Done Well, it's just goosebumps all over because it's so powerful, right? Fall on your knees, you know, and hear and the earth rejoices, O night divine, night when Christ was born. Uh, o night divine, it's just like, yeah! I want to go take on the world when I hear that song. It's incredible. But there's one line in there that's really haunting. And it says, the thrill of hope. And this next phrase, the weary world rejoices. And man, as we were talking about some different ideas, what can we bring to our people this Christmas that's really going to focus them, that's really going to challenge them? That phrase stuck out, the weary world rejoices. 
We need to bring something to people this December that's going to allow them in their weariness, in their fears, in their anxieties as they watch the news, as they get the CNN headlines on their phone every morning about what's going on in the world and all the fears that we have about North Korea and wars and everything else. This world is broken and it's weary. What is it going to take to bring hope so that this weary world rejoices? It's not just the world. What about your world? Is your world weary yet? Has the chaos ensued, the busyness, the anxiety? Would I look out here and see some weary eyes this morning because of situations that have crept into your life or your life's been completely shattered and destroyed by situations? So I was thinking about um, some of these concepts. I kind of threw down a little bit of poetic, um, what would you, I don't even know what you'd call it, just free verse, like my mind was just there and I'm thinking about our people and I'm thinking about my own life and I just start typing on my computer so it kind of rhymes and it kind of doesn't rhyme, but I wanted to kind of bring us um, to this view of like where are a lot of us here at this moment? What is the tension that we have here on December 10th? And here's what came out. Shopping and buying, planning and trying on more clothes. Or to another website we go. Traveling, unraveling, spending unending amounts of stashes of cash for the only reason in this season so that your kids can be happy for a few minutes. And what's in it comes unwrapped. Just like every year, they end up broken and dusty, rusty or crusty, unused and abused, and no longer amusing. So they must be stored because soon we get bored. And what about the Lord? Instead of the days, instead of the things uh, that please us, what about Jesus? Instead of two-day shipping with no fees, what about this promised peace? And that's kind of where we find ourselves this morning. Today we're diving in and leaning in and waiting for this idea of peace. And we want to answer the question, why should this weary world rejoice? Because Jesus brings us peace. Let's open in your copy of scriptures to um, the book of Luke chapter 1. Or in your device. That's where we're going to be. Luke chapter 1 and a little bit in Luke chapter 2. Um, we've got a few other references that we'll put up on the screen. But encourage you to focus this morning. And think about this tension. Think about this idea. And this morning what we're going to be doing is we're going to be diving into the narrative of Mary. The mother of Jesus. Now, it's amazing because a few things that you may not know about Mary, there's more written about Mary than the vast majority of characters in Scripture. Really, it's only the Apostle Paul, Peter, and John have more written about them in Scriptures than Mary does. Mary was an incredible figure, incredibly important in the story. And where we're diving in um, here in chapter 1 has to do with what happened in her life and what we can learn from her response that is going to impact and inspire us. 
Well, the first thing we need to recognize in this season of Advent, this season of waiting and anticipation, is that this feeling of anticipation is nothing new. 2,000 years ago, before Jesus was born, right at these moments, there was an incredible urgency and a waiting and an expectation. The people of Israel had been in captivity. They had been scattered. They'd been under tyranny, and they'd been waiting for rescue and waiting for a Messiah for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And as a matter of fact, over 600 years Before Jesus was born, the prophets predicted what was going to happen, how it was going to come to be, and what this Messiah would be like. So this is the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, starting in verse 2. Here's the prophet. 600 years before, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them this light has shone. Listen to this. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And here's the one we're focusing on, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Notice this last line. This one definitely gets overlooked. This one's not in the handles Messiah, I don't think. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. The passion of the Lord, the power of God, the energy of God, the momentum of God. This zeal is something that God was so excited about. I can't wait to share this with the world. Now I want you to notice a couple key elements in this uh, prophetic text. That it's going to be a child. This Messiah is not going to be something prominent, born to a prominent, rich, wealthy family. It's going to be born as a vulnerable little baby. And I want you to notice what are, what's going to be said about this child. It's going to rule on the throne of David. That's vitally important for us as we dive in to the story of Mary here in Luke chapter one. So if you've turned there, that's great. We're going to dive in there in one second. I've crafted the message just with two key questions that I want to um, bring to you here this morning. And the first question is this, as we think about this idea of what Jesus would have for us, I want you to think about this question, number one. What if our peace was interrupted so that other people could see Jesus? What if our peace, our routine, our normal was interrupted for the express purpose that other people would see and know Jesus. The reason I throw that question out to you is because that's exactly what happened to Mary. Okay, you gotta think about her. We're diving into her narrative, her world. She's a teenage girl. The number one question for teenage girls at that time is not what I'm gonna wear today. It was, when am I going to get a husband? 
That's the biggest question that they had. The most exciting thing in life is when can I be paired up with a godly man and we can have a family together and honor God in that way. And Mary's question had been answered. There was this handsome hunk, you know, with a big tool belt. He was a carpenter, right? Flexing his muscles as he's with the saw, you know, and he's uh, working that thing over. His name was Joseph, and they connected, and we don't know all the details of the whole thing, but somehow there was a betrothal, an engagement that took place. She was engaged to be married. Now, this is really important for us to remember, okay? It's not like what we have today where we have an engagement ring. You ask somebody, and then six months or eight months or a year later, that's when you actually get married. And if you break off an engagement, it's not great, but it happens all the time, and it's not the end of the world. This was different. At this time, when it was, will you marry me? Will you uh, be my wife? It was legally binding. So they were essentially husband and wife. Okay, And then they would separate for a time while the man would go back to his house and would literally build an addition to the house where he and his wife would stay. Okay, So it didn't matter if you were good uh, at Home Depot and Lowe's or not. It didn't matter. You had to build an additional room and there was motivation for that. Because soon as the father said, yes, it is done, it is ready, you may go get your bride, he would run and he would call out for his bride. She had to be ready and he would take her and that's when they would have the celebration feast. All right, and there's a beautiful illustration that's a whole nother message for a whole nother time about Jesus and him going away and preparing a place and coming back at the time that only the father knows. Oh, it's so exciting, but that's another message for another time, but we need to be ready. But that's another message for another time. But this is where we were. Mary was there. Mary was waiting. And, and maybe Joseph's even ready. Who knows when he's going to come calling? I better be ready. You know, and he's a carpenter, so he's probably going to be a lot quicker than all these other little lackeys that don't know what they're doing. So I'm ready. Betrothed. And then her peace, her routine, her world was shattered. You know the story. Pick it up here in chapter 1. We'll just start reading um, here in verse 30. It says, And an angel came and appeared to Mary. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 32, and he will be great, and he will be called the son of the most high. Now all of a sudden stuff's starting to make sense for her. Before it's like, well, I'm going to conceive. That's really weird because Joseph's all the way over there, and we haven't done that yet, and this is strange. But now all of a sudden it's starting to click in her mind. Your son is going to be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God said, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Remember Isaiah chapter 9 that we just read before? Now all of a sudden it's becoming clear. This is going to be the Messiah, the rescuer. This is going to be the one. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and to his kingdom. There will be no end. So I just want you to take a moment and think about Mary's life. And think about this interruption to her peace. It's no wonder that the angel said, do not be afraid. 
Because think about it, she had everything going for her in a sense. They weren't rich. They didn't have a whole lot. They were peasants, essentially, most likely. We know that because when they went to the temple to, uh, to offer the dedication to Jesus, they paid essentially the peasants' um, payment. So they weren't rich. But man, she was like, I know we don't have a lot, but I've got Joseph and I, we got our families and we can't wait to live together no matter what. And now all of a sudden, everything's changing. What are people going to think? She's going to be pregnant. Joseph's far away. Joseph knows and she knows that that didn't happen. What is the reputation going to be for me as a God-fearing young woman who now is going to be cast out as somebody immoral? How's Joseph going to feel when he finds out this news? And just imagine the reaction of everybody. It was like, oh yeah, no, I know I'm pregnant, but you know, it was funny because it was kind of like this angel came to me in a dream and like somehow supernaturally, now all of a sudden, you know, like, uh-huh. Uh-huh, yeah, right, that's how it happened. Right, we really do have to put ourselves in her situation. And even for Joseph, I mean, you see in Matthew chapter 1, he was, a, he was a righteous man. He had done things the right way. He was a God-fearer. And, and when he heard that Mary was pregnant, he had in his mind hurt, betrayal. I'm going to put her away honorably. We're going to get a divorce. This is the worst thing that could happen. But the equivalent for us would be somebody cheating on you know, their soon-to-be husband or wife like at the rehearsal dinner. You know what I mean? It was a big deal. And her life was now forever going to be changed. But it was for a grander purpose. It was so that others would be able to see Jesus. The interruption, the inconvenience, not just a physical inconvenience of being pregnant. Can I get an amen from a woman here? No, not really. Okay, I guess it's not that bad. Not just a physical inconvenience in the unknown, in the anxiety, but man, you skip over to chapter two and what was going on with Joseph. The angel came to him as well. Okay, this is gonna be great. Okay, we're committed. It's not the way we wanted our life to be, but Lord, you're interrupting our peace for a grander purpose and we're on board with it. Chapter two, start reading in verse four. Think about some of these inconveniences, right? And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be married to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child got several things going on number one uh, they're traveling traveling over the holidays is that fun traveling when you're pregnant is that fun Walking or riding a donkey, we don't really know, uh, over 70 miles over rough terrain. Think there was a little bit of stress going on in their lives? Not to mention it was tax day. It was April 15th in their world. So not only do we not have a lot of money, but now we got to go here and we got to pay some money. So this is even worse for us. This is inconvenient, and, and the grandest you know, novel that was missed out on, that we don't get any details, but we don't get it, but here in verse 6, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Oh, that's good. And uh, verse 7, and she gave birth. 
What are we missing in between those two verses? You ever think about that? You think about some of our um, carols, you know, silent night, holy night, all is calm and all is bright. Yeah, right. You ever been in a birthing room before? (laughs) Even that phrase is a little weird, birthing room. It's screaming and yelling and pain and anguish. And that's what they were going through. Their world interrupted so that other people could see Jesus. So I want us to think about that first question. And I want us to think about this season. You know, we sang these songs, that last song that we sang, Jesus, Son of God, on the altar of our praise. That's the highest name that we want to lift up. You know, that, that's the one that we really want to focus on. And I wonder what would please God the most here this morning and would please God the most in this month of December. If we really focused on Jesus, it's his birth, we need to celebrate what he was all about. And as you think about this question, what if our peace, what if our routine, what if our comfort were absolutely interrupted so that other people could experience Christ? Guess what? Jesus was the prime example of that. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, we see that there he was in peace. There he was reigning in kingdom, in heaven, in comfort, in his glory. But his life was also interrupted. So that other people could experience his peace. And I wonder even if here at this point we would ask ourselves the question. Are we just going to praise Jesus for his example? Or are we going to follow in his example? Are we just going to celebrate who he was and what he did in Philippians 2 and oh that was great? Or are we actually going to be open to following that as well? Because here's what he wants us to do through the Apostle Paul. This is Christ speaking to us, the Holy Spirit inspiring. This is what God wants us to do. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not about our schedule. It's not about our peace. It's not about our routine. It's not about our agenda. The challenge here is that may be interrupted and it might be uncomfortable, but there's a purpose behind it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's where it came from. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to, a thing to be so tightly embraced that he didn't want to give it up. But instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Yes, even death on a cross. What if your peace, what if your comfort gets interrupted in the same way Jesus' comfort did? Second question goes right along with it. What about this concept? Well, what if God's peace was only revealed in the midst of turmoil? What if God's peace in its truest form was only actually revealed 
when something tragic or horrible or uncomfortable or, or fearful happens to us. Remember the status of where we were 2,000 years ago, right? You remember the shepherds were watching in their flock by night and they got the angel that came and visited them in chapter two and it talks about, hey, you know what? I know you guys are filled with fear, but the angel says, fear not. Behold, I'm bringing you some really good news that's gonna be great joy and it's gonna be for all the people. It's something incredible. And in verse 14, we get the summary of it. Here's what the angel said. Glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. No matter what's going on politically at that time, remember, it was tyranny, it was fear. Somehow this Jesus is going to bring us peace. And here's where we see that the peace of God can truly be seen. There's a supernatural element of this peace of God that's got three different um, sides to it. As we think about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, as we think about peace on earth, goodwill towards men, there's three different sides to it. Number one is we can have peace with each other. Jesus came to live. Jesus came to teach us a better way to live. Jesus came to forgive Some of you who have been around for a while remember in Acts we were talking about that early church. One of the things that set them apart in the first 300 years of church history that asked the question, why would anybody have wanted to become a Christian? Think about how they were persecuted and killed and they were, you know, mistreated. And yet the movement absolutely exploded. And one of the main reasons that separated them from the Romans and everybody else is that they were willing to forgive their enemies. Part of the peace of God that we can feel here, even in this place, even today, even in the next couple weeks, is a peace between other people. A forgiveness that maybe you've been holding on to or harboring that's been weighing you down. Miraculously, Jesus came to let you know you can forgive. Up to seven times, the disciples said, nope, 70 times seven. I'm willing to give you the grace to do even that. And maybe this morning, that's where your anxiety is. Maybe that's where your your weightiness and weariness comes from, is relationships with other people. Jesus can give you peace in that. The second one that we see is a, a peace with God. A salvation peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, a most beloved verse, says, Therefore, since we are, have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Whereas once there was separation because of our sin, the fact that Jesus came into the world as the Messiah and died for us a sinless death, paved the way for us to have peace with God if we would just believe And maybe for you here this morning, that's what you need. You need peace with God. And the third one is peace in every circumstance. A peace that comes where we've got situations and difficulties and tragedies and the Holy Spirit of God can come alongside and can comfort us. Guys, what was so incredible in my study this week is I recognized and God allowed me to discover something that I had never heard or seen before. 
And, you know, for anybody that's a pastor, you know, I've been studying scripture for a long time. Many of you guys are very well knowledgeable, older than I, more mature than I. You've been studying the Bible for a long time. Um, And so it's kind of a hard thing. Like, man, here's something brand new that you never knew before. And maybe you connected these, but I didn't. But listen to this. When you think about Mary and you think about her life, what sets her apart so significantly this week that I found out was this. Mary was the only one there when Jesus was born and when Jesus died. So Mary was the only one there when Jesus took his first breath, obviously. It'd be really hard for her not to be there. But she was the only one there for the first breath and the last breath. Okay? And that just kind of blew my mind. Like she saw it both. She saw the the coming into existence, this person who could give us peace and allow us to forgive with other people. But she also experienced that final breath when Jesus said, it is finished, paving for us a way to have peace with God. First breath and last breath. Peace with each other. Forgiveness. Peace with God. It is finished. And then what just absolutely blew me out of the water was Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Some of you guys are like, we're still in Acts? Yeah, hang with me. Thought we were taking a break from Acts. Oh, Acts 1, 14, you know what it says? And there they were in Jerusalem, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and Mary was there as well. And then Peter jumped up and started to give his message, right? And then you remember in Acts chapter 2, they were all praying together. They were all there. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God came down upon them. And the miraculous, mighty, rushing wind, Mary was there for that one too. So she was there for the first breath. She was there for the last breath. And she was there for the breath of God, breathing life again anew into the church. She experienced it all. So I don't know where all that lands on you, and I don't know when you think about that and you think about that question in particular, what if God's peace was only revealed in the midst of turmoil? I don't know what you're afraid of here this morning. I don't know what you're wrestling with, but I do know that there's somebody who has exemplified this kind of attitude uh, in an incredible way, and I want to put her picture up on the screen right now. That's Christine Liu. And uh, her life was interrupted. Her routine was interrupted. Her peaceful, relatively, existence of going through uh, life with her husband, Raymond, and their two beautiful girls was interrupted a couple of months ago. As she got the diagnosis and had to go through the process of battling cancer. And these are all taken from her Facebook, by the way which is a glorious testimony that says, you know what, yep, this is who I am, yep, shaving, yep, go ahead, Ray, go nuts, yep, there it is. Talk about somebody whose life was interrupted, and yet they're holding on to the hope and the peace of the Lord, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. This was a Christmas card from, from just a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Her smile, despite having cancer, is infectious. 
And I will never forget the day several weeks ago when Angie, our, uh, our kids ministry director, sent out an email to a bunch of potential people from, uh, from Northwest here saying, hey, we could use a few more people uh, this particular Sunday. We're kind of low. And immediately, you know who emailed back, said, I'll do it? Christine. She's got cancer. What's the rest of our excuses? She's like, and by the way, anytime you need it, if I'm around, as long as I'm feeling okay, I'll be there. I can roll around with kids on the floor. I'd love to do that. Cancer can't outshine my Jesus. I asked Christine earlier on this week, feeling like I didn't have the I mean, just, just the amount of respect that I have for her and others in that situation that, that truly are living out and experiencing this stuff that we're talking about. I asked her, how do you do it? And, and what's, give me a little bit of verbiage and what's going on in your heart. And here's what she said. She said, peace is something that God gave me even before my official cancer diagnosis. I had a moment of fear when the mammogram revealed that was, something was wrong. But even during that time of waiting, God clearly told me that it was cancer, but that it was not going to be the death of me. I guess peace is knowing your daddy has his hands wrapped around you, protecting you despite the raging storm outside. You can still sleep soundly through it all. Peace is hearing God speak to your soul. In short, maybe peace comes down to first knowing who your daddy is, being still enough to hear your daddy speak, and trusting your daddy to carry you through what he said. Amen. When you think about her life, when you think about her testimony, she would never say, hey, I want cancer. But guess what? It's only, it's only in experiencing that incredible turmoil that the peace of God is able to shine through. Amen. So I guess in, in closing, I just want to share this passage of Scripture from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. What's in common with the story of Mary with really the story of Joseph, with the shepherds, all three of those, the very first thing the angel had to say is do not be afraid. There's something grander going on than you could ever imagine. And God, through the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, says that same thing to us. Do not be afraid, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and by supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here it is. And that peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to invite you all to bow your heads right now as we just come before the Lord. I'm going to invite our band to come on out here. Lord, we just come before you here this morning with a lot of different things on our hearts that are causing us anxiety. 
God speaking for me, knowing some of the people within our body, not knowing a lot of them and knowing what they're going through. Father, we know that this is a season of unrest. And this slice of life that we have here on December 10th, 2017, is filled for many with anxiety and with fear. And Lord, maybe for us, we don't have a good relationship with some other people. And we can picture them in our minds right now, people that have hurt us, people that we've hurt, and God, maybe we need the peace of forgiving them once and for all like your son taught us to do. Lord, maybe for some here tonight, they don't have a peace with you. And they are weighed down by the guilt of their sin and their shame and have never come to the point in their life where they have accepted that gift of your final breath on that cross, paving the way for us to experience true peace with you. And Lord, maybe for some this morning, there's other anxieties, other tragedies, other uncertainties that keep them up all night long and that cause them to look at the future with so much fear. Lord, maybe for them, it's that peace that transcends all understanding that they need right at this moment. So whatever it is, God, we know that you are strong enough and powerful enough to reach them where they are. And I pray that today would be a day where fears are vanquished, where anxieties are crushed. And Lord, the power of your Holy Spirit would come alongside the We love you, God, and we thank you for your promise, and we thank you for your name as the Prince of Peace. We love you. Here's something in you.